0: Welcome to the New Books
1: Network. Good morning and welcome. My name is Roland Clark and I'm here today on the New Books Network talking to Eva Stanchik, who's a Senior Lecturer in East European Studies at the University of Amsterdam. She has a PhD from the University of Manchester and has also taught at Trinity College Dublin before moving to the Netherlands. Her first book focused on commemorating the children of World War II in Poland, and she's currently working on a new book about anti-Semitic cartoons in interwar Poland. All of which is to say that she's a very busy woman. Welcome to the podcast, Eva.
2: Good morning, and thank you for having me.
1: Eva, um, this is a history of comics in Poland over the last 100 years, but it's also a history of Polish relations with the wider world, and in particular with the United States, and of the different ways that Poles have thought about Polishness during the 20th century, why do you think comics are such a useful way of exploring Polish national and international identities?
2: Well, Poles have been enthusiastic consumers and producers of comics for more than 100 years now. And even though this was the case, Poland has always been considered to be peripheral to the general history of comics, especially if we compare it to countries such as France, Belgium, uh, the US or Japan. And this is, of course, correct. I'm not arguing that Poland is essential to the history of comics. Uh, but at the same time, there was, there's always been this enthusiasm about comics. And uh, Polish readers, Polish commentators, journalists, artists have always faced this dilemma about what to choose and what to reject from this international comics production. And as they've been doing this, because this is still going on, um, they've been asking themselves very fundamental questions about who are we as a nation, about what is, what is the national culture, and, uh, and what, where, where do we fit in this wider world of comics? And, of course, um, the, the medium itself was central to many of these questions.
1: Uh, so the book starts off with a really cool comic strip called The Adventures of Unemployed fraudcheck uh, which comes out of Silesia in the 1930s. And as you write, uh, Franchek looks a lot like Tintin, and his dog Chapek looks a lot like Snowy, um, which is a Belgian comic from the 1930s. And like Tintin, he also travels the world having various adventures, usually fighting fascists around the world. Uh, why would Poles have wanted to read this sort of comic in the 1930s?
2: Yes, you're right that those international influences were very strong in in the adventures of unemployed Bronzek. But um, what is I think more crucial here is the fact that the comic was a very local production. So as you said, it was published in Silesia in the 1930s. The first issue, uh, the first um, episode of uh, of the adventures came out in 1932. And it actually ran until 1939. It was the longest running comic strip in inter, in interwar Poland. And um, the local environment of, of Silesia was very important to, um, to the protagonist himself. He was not only Silesian, he was a former miner who lost his job and then was trying to make it in this very difficult, um, uh, difficult realities of the 1930s Poland, following the economic crisis. But he was also someone who identified as Polish. And this was very important for the newspaper itself um, to convince the readers that Silesia could not only have its own distinct identity, but could also be um, distinctly Polish. Um, This is to do with the fact that in 1921 uh, parts of Silesia were incorporated into Weimar Germany, and uh, up until the outbreak of World War II, this was still a contested region between the two states. So, um, showing Frontek as a character that was both Silesian and Polish was very important. And as he travelled to those different locations, to Germany, to Italy, to Spain, Um, he actually also encountered other Silesian characters during his trips and um, conversations about those very political issues were also present in this trip. So it was an important way of asserting both regional and national identities. And uh, the foreign travels were only background to do so.
1: Mm, That's really interesting. So as well as a Tintin lookalike, in the 1930s, we also have a Polish version of Betty Boop, uh, a Polish Mickey Mouse, a Polish Flash Gordon, as well as other characters. What does this tell us about the impact of America on Polish culture in the interwar period?
2: It really shows that American popular culture was very coveted in Poland, especially uh, from mid-1930s onwards. Um, American characters uh, were very often Polonized. Their names were changed. So, for example, Superman was was named Burzan, which was more Slavonic sounding. Um, And this was aimed at um, adapting those characters characters to Polish realities. But what was uh, perhaps even more interesting to me as a scholar was the fact that um, there was a very... um, a skillful system of dissemination of American culture in place already in the 1930s. Um, So we know that uh, most countries in Europe had their own agencies that dealt with licensing and copyright uh, and were representatives of the bigger King Feature Syndicate, which was an American company that uh, circulated uh, popular cultural content in Europe. And those separate agencies existed in places such as France and Italy. And there was also one specific agency that dealt with distribution of American popular culture in Poland and in Central and Eastern Europe in general. Uh, The agency was based in uh, Stockholm. It was called, and still is because the agency still exists, it's called Bull's Press. And uh, since 1936, uh, Bulls Press had a representative in Warsaw as well. And those those agencies uh, were responsible for for dealing with with licenses, with reproduction of content. And I think what's interesting is that that Poland was actually part of those capitalist practices um, in the 1930s, that it dealt with international actors, um, in in the field of, of of economic and cultural exchanges, and that uh, actually it was closely aligned with partners uh, in in the Nordic states, which who were crucial to this, to the dissemination of that content uh, in Poland.
1: Mm. Um, so during the interwar period comics and capitalism go hand in hand but then when the communists come to power after the second world war they turn against comics and rather than importing comics from america they start importing american arguments against comics uh, which i found really interesting it's hard to imagine anyone not liking comics but what did the polish communists and the american mccarthyists find in common ground when they wanted to attack comic books
2: um. The, the American anti-comics campaign, which uh, which started um, in the late 1940s, um, also had its reverberations in Poland. And one person was particularly crucial uh, to that campaign, both in the U.S. and elsewhere. His name was uh, Frederick Wertham. He wrote a very famous book called Seduction of the Innocent, in which he argued that uh, comics hampered the the emotional and educational development of children. Um, Wertham was a Jewish emigre from uh, Germany who came to the US in 1934 and who established a psychiatric clinic in Harlem in New York City. And there he uh, dealt with juvenile patients, uh, most of them coming from very underprivileged backgrounds. And um, many of the patients um, who had all sorts of different uh, psychological issues um, read, apparently, uh, horror and crime comics. And Vertham argued that this was the worst influence that you could have in uh, in American culture. And those ideas became very popular elsewhere, not only in, uh, in Western Europe, in Australia, Canada, but also in the socialist bloc. And so I think this shows that actually uh, socialist commentators were able to uh, select those influences from American discourse or culture that fit their own ideological agenda. And they were able to use them also as weapons in their own uh, anti-American discourse. Uh,
1: And in this section where you're talking about anti-Americanism and anti-comics in the 1950s. You talk about an exhibition called This is America in Warsaw in 1952, which presented comics as one of the many evils of the American way of life. How did Polish audiences respond to this sort of stuff?
2: Um, Indeed, the exhibition was meant to emphasize the ills of the American way of life. It was aimed to show the flaws of its political system um, and apart from being uh, shown in Warsaw, it also traveled to other countries, across Poland, uh, to Kraków, Sopot and elsewhere. And actually millions of people saw the exhibition uh, during those few years when, uh, when it was opened. And I found amazing sources uh, which um, showed how visitors reacted to uh, what they saw in the exhibition. Uh, I found one memoir of, uh, of someone who is, uh, who is now an artist and who was a child at the time when the exhibition was, um, was showing in his hometown of Sopot in, um, in the north of the country. Um, and he actually admitted that he devised various plans uh, of trying to steal the chewing gum and Coca-Cola he saw in the glass cabinet being um, exhibited uh, in Sopot. Uh, Of course, he was unsuccessful, Uh, but I also found a CIA report which uh, recorded um, different reactions to what the visitors saw in the exhibition. And of course, I have to mention that comics were one of those um, artifacts that were also displayed, and many of them were uh, those very violent comics, uh, either those um, that were aimed at recruits who were to fight in Korea, Uh, or other sorts of uh, crime and horror comics, uh, including those that Wertham was protesting against. And the CIA report actually um, showed that the visitors really marveled at what they saw uh, in the exhibition. Uh, They marveled at the achievement of American technology, at the uh, quality of American products. Um, They they really um, emphasized that everything that America produced was simply the best. And I think uh, what it shows is um, the failure of the socialist utopia, the failure of socialist economy, um, and the victory of, uh, of the American dream, which was very much uh, coveted by, by the socialist uh, visitor to this exhibition.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so the, the book sort of jumps um, through 20-year periods to, to cover the big transition points in Polish history. And you start in the 30s, move into the 50s. And then in the 1970s, comic books come in back into fashion in Poland. What had changed in the 70s that Poles are now allowed to read comics and that they wanted to read comics?
2: Um, Well, the 1970s is this very crucial period of uh, cultural, economic and political liberalisation. This is when uh, Edward Gierek becomes the first secretary and he is well known for his pro-Western sympathies. Uh, Gereck himself was born in France, Uh, he was a French speaker, and he was very much a Francophile. And he initiated this uh, period of opening to the West, in particular to to France, but he also initiated this this period of decoupling uh, the US from Western Europe. So, um, America is still bad in this worldview, but Western Europe is not, and we can cooperate with them. And this really uh, changed a lot for artists, for uh, journalists, for cultural commentators who uh, were very much involved in in the whole comic book um, discussion that I'm talking about. Uh, They were now able to travel abroad to comic book uh, festivals, including the famous uh, festival in Lucca in Italy. Uh, they um, they received uh, funding for those travels and there was most importantly funding available for artists so, Many famous artists of the period who are now actually considered the major, um, major comic book artists uh, in Poland, including Grzegorz Rosiński, uh, Jerzy Wróblewski, Janusz Krysta, um, they actually started um, working in the 1970s. They came to uh, fame during that period. They were involved in major projects that were state-funded, uh, including the um, uh, RELAX magazine, which, uh, which emerged during the 1970s um, and many of them later established uh, important links also with uh, artists in, in Belgium, for example. And this was the case for Grzegorz Rosiński. So this is really the period of an immense growth as far as comic books are concerned. And um, this is also the reason why many contemporary uh, scholars who work on comics um, in the context of Poland would describe it as the golden period of Polish comics.
1: Um, And in this golden period of the 1970s, one of the most successful comic book heroes was Roszynski's Captain Zbick, who is like a James Bond-style detective and generally good guy, um, what was it about Captain Zbik that made him appealing both to the authorities who permitted him, but also to young readers?
2: Um, indeed. Uh, Zbik was, um, was a very interesting character, um, precisely for the reasons you've mentioned. Um, the story was devised by a law graduate and Polish militia officer uh, called Władysław Krupka, Um, who, in his own words, wanted to show the difficult and interesting work of Polish uh, militia officers. Um, And uh, Zbik um, was uh, not really a typical uh, militia man. He did not participate in suppressing riots, which is what many uh, in Poland would know a lot about, and this would be perhaps the... Uh, one of their associations with Militia at the time, uh, he was not um, involved in traffic control or any day-to-day activities such as those. The work that he did was much more glamorous. Um, he was involved in high-profile cases that uh, involved um, international criminals, including smuggling diamonds, including espionage, uh, illegal trade in foreign currency, um, so for that reason um, he was very attractive to the polish reader. Um, the locations that were included in um, in the series were also very unusual uh, even though most of them were socialist locations for example the Bulgarian Riviera or places in Romania or west or East Berlin in in the GDR um, to a to an ordinary socialist citizen those locations would have been very exotic and this also attracted uh, criticism from uh, some regime friendly commentators who um, argued that actually this was this was not a positive development that we should uh, we should have more polish locations that are more accessible to the polish reader rather than promoting this very lavish lifestyle that, um, that Zbik was actually leading as a detective. So um, so there were two aspects uh, to that. But at the same time, uh, Zbik was very popular with readers. Um, at the height of its popularity, as many as, as 200,000 copies per album were sold. Uh, which meant that um, an important educational content could be pursued through this series. And um, Krupka, the creator, decided that this was a very good platform to, to teach the young reader about important issues such as road safety or socially accepted behaviors, for example, how to treat the elderly, how to behave on the trains or... Um, how, to, uh, how to ski when it's, uh, when it's snowing or how to deal with uh, green spaces in the city. Um, and this, this educational aspect was very important and it was also very attractive to the state who wanted to see police as this, this very involved um, uh, type of forces who also uh, educated the public.
1: Mm. Um, this this notion that people would write to and comment and say, Zbik shouldn't be visiting Bulgaria and Romania, he should be visiting Poland, um, comes up again in the Relics magazine from the 1970s, which is dedicated exclusively to comics and has both Polish and comic strips from France and other places. And you point out in the book that the magazine had a big letter section where people talked about what sort of comics they liked, what they didn't like, what should be changed. What did Polish readers say they wanted from their comics in the 1970s?
2: Indeed, RELAX received um, many letters from readers, and they commented very closely about what what they read. Um, They were also very picky and very difficult to satisfy. Uh, But what they really wanted was more American stories. They wanted more Batman, they wanted more Superman, more Tarzan stories. They wanted stories about Native Americans, uh, but they couldn't get those stories. Um, The reason for that was because the licensing costs were very high and the magazine really struggled with financial issues. It was um, subsidized by the state, but... um, it was barely enough, really, to, to pay the local illustrators who contributed to the magazine on a regular basis. Uh, Henrik Kurta, who was the editor-in-chief of the magazine, um, just like Gerek, he was a huge Francophile. And um, he also didn't think American popular culture was that great. And this was also very much a uh, deliberate decision on his part to not include American stories, simply because he didn't value them enough. Uh, He was more um, interested in uh, Lucky Luke and Asterix. And uh, some of those stories did appear in the magazine, especially in the first few issues, but then disappeared completely, precisely because of those financial issues that I mentioned. But to kurta, those um, those French stories, or Belgian stories, they were really a great um, school in and in, in values, and universal values, in human characteristics. And he couldn't praise them enough for for doing just that. Um, but um, as I mentioned, the magazine constantly dealt with uh, issues of funding. Um, and even though initially the plan was to um, make this into a major Eastern and Central European magazine that would showcase not only Polish artists, but also artists from uh, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, and so on, um, this didn't in the end happen. Um, some Hungarian and some Czechoslovak artists were included in the magazine, but Uh, because there were no um, suitable scripts for them to draw to. um, In the end, uh, very, very few of those stories made it to the magazine. Um, There were also issues connected to the shortages of paper that uh, prevented uh, the magazine from publishing a more diverse content. Um, This meant that the magazine was published on a very irregular basis and that by the time... Another issue was um, was was being planned or published. Uh, there were enough stories that um, that that the magazine could fit in into one issue. And there were also the issues connected um, to do with with pressure from the state who wanted to see more stories that uh, glorified national history. So, um trying to meet those uh, very conflictive conflicting uh, interests on the one hand uh, promoting new artists and trying to establish a proper comic book scene uh, in Poland was one um was one aim that the magazine set itself um, then there were um, there were there was this issue of satisfying the readers and their interests especially their cravings for american culture was another issue and finally there was this pressure from the state uh, responding to the demands of the party who was actually uh, the employer so um, for that reason it was it was very difficult to
0: to have more of those western uh, stories there
1: Um, Yeah, so money is always a problem when it comes to comics. And I remember you commented in the book, in the 1930s, the boom of comics was because they just ignored international licensing. Mm. Indeed. Um, And then in the 1990s, foreign American and Japanese comics, they flood into Poland after the collapse of state socialism. But again, there's not always commercial success. Um, it seems obvious that Polish readers wanted comics, so why wasn't this necessary a formula for making a lot of money?
2: Um, here, I guess we have to go back again to this issue of capitalist practices. And there was very little experience um, and understanding of such practices in, in Poland of the 1990s. Um, And I think the case of uh, one major publisher of the time called T.M. Semik is really illustrative of that. Um, T.M. Semik was uh, created in 1990, um, and it um, it wanted to bring American popular American stories to uh, Polish readers. They did so successfully. Uh, Many stories such as Superman and Punisher were published uh, with T.M. Semic and were very popular with readers initially. Uh, But in the end, the the publisher really struggled with um, issues of overproduction in particular. So there was more supply than demand. Uh, They printed up to 300% more than actually was required. And this really um, increased uh, storage costs. Uh, and uh, and led to some financial losses on part of the company um, so they weren't able to really gauge the interest and produce enough um, in order to to make enough profit there was also another reason that uh, commentators often mention in uh, in the context of tm samik namely very slapdash publishing and the quality of publishing which was extremely low at the time so because this company was uh, was mostly aimed at bringing quick profit, uh, they didn't care so much about uh, about the quality of paper, about the quality of translation, and for this reason, uh, they they were gradually uh, losing readers um, who turned to other publishers who could do it better, and one of those publishers uh, was uh, Egmont Publishing, um, who actually came from. The Nordic state, um, just like Tm Semik, by the way, both of them um, are an example of, of those contacts and influences which started in Poland already in the 1970s with Sweden uh, especially. Um, and uh, Egmont Publishing um, managed to carve out a much better position for themselves uh, in the Polish market, Uh, They are actually the only publisher at the moment uh, who survived the 1990s. Uh, T.M. Semek, the first publisher I mentioned, closed down in 2003, so it only lasted for 13 years. But Egmont Publisher really invested into not only um, producing American stories that were very popular with readers, which is what the first publisher did as well, but also invested into producing quality publications that, that actually maintained the interest and, uh, and were satisfying to, um, to, um, to deal with. There were also many ephemeral publishers present uh, on the Polish markets uh, during that period. Uh, many of them published manga, many of them published um, also American or French stories um and um what they did was simply uh trying the market by um by doing it so there was very little uh attempt to um to recognize the market before before actually starting those ac- enterprises and this was also the reason why they were so short-lived and why they didn't survive um, for longer than two or three years.
1: Mm. It's something you don't think about normally, how challenging it is to set up a market when there's no market research because there's never been a market Mm. there before. Yeah. Um, And you finished the book with analysis of several graphic novels, um, quite recent ones, both graphic memoirs and historical comics. Um, One that stood out to me was Totally Not Nostalgic from 2017. Um, can you tell me what it was that made this graphic memoir so groundbreaking?
2: Um, indeed, um, the, the the graphic memoir has been described actually as Poland's first uh, graphic memoir, and um, it's been compared to the work by Alison Bechdel, especially Fun Home. Um, And the reason for that is because both authors deal with uh, their childhood memories, with uh, coming of age and with the family environment. And they talk about how um, the family environment in particular shapes them as people. And of course, we see examples um, of that already in the 1970s in, uh, in the U.S., uh, especially um, authors who explored um, traumatic, traumatic childhood experiences um, and who dealt with, uh, with Roman Catholicism or other um, issues that they found repressive in their childhoods. And this is the case here as well. Vanda Hagedorn, who uh, wrote a script for this comic book, Um, This was actually her first work. Uh, She uh, collaborated with an established uh, artist called uh, Jacek Fronć, and together uh, they created this uh, this story of uh, coming of age, uh, growing up in a fairly oppressive political system, uh, growing up in a... Uh, Roman Catholic state where, where church was very important and also growing up in a very patriarchal family environment that centered around the figure of the father uh, who was fairly abusive and who, who actually replicated many of those characteristics that the young Wanda sees in the, in the wider uh, school environment, church environment and in the state as a whole. And so she um, she talks about growing up in uh, in the 1960s in the city of Szczecin um, in Northern Poland. And uh, as she does that, she is trying to discover herself as a person. And similar to Alison Bechtel, she uh, uses feminist writing to do that. Uh, she talks a lot about bell hooks and Nancy Friday. Uh, She's also reading Freud in order to understand her father. Um, And this is an important way of uh, of simply coming to terms uh, with her personal uh, trajectory, with her experiences. And reading and writing, especially writing the script, uh, talking to her family, talking to her sisters and to her mother is an important form of therapy for her as well. And we see that um, also happening uh, in case of Bechtel, in case of Alison Kominsky, Alice Kominsky-Krump uh, and other artists um, who did very similar things in the US in the, in the last few decades.
1: Thinking about it, looking back and creating memories and analysing your memory in your past is a beautiful way to end a, a history book, um, particularly a history book on comics. And that's about all that we have time for today. But thank you so much for talking us through this really interesting topic.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.